Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, October 4th, we are studying Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 39 to 52. Moses concludes his song, and he commends it to Israel, that they would take it to heart both now and in the time following his quickly coming death. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Ned Murby. Pastor Murby serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blackwell, Oklahoma. Pastor Murby, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Well, thank you, Tim. It's good to be on with you. As we get started today, let's talk a little bit of context. We're at the end of Moses' song, and we get a little bit more in this chapter after it. What should we know about Moses' song and anything in the book of Deuteronomy that'll help us with the text today? Well, the, the big thing to know about Moses' song is that it's really God's song. It's, it's God's song given to his faithful prophet um, to be passed on to his people and especially what we what we get today this is god speaking in the first person to his people um reminding them who he is of of his character and and what he does for them um and and that's you know deuteronomy is is a repeating of kind of everything that's gone before we get the 10 commandments repeated for us um and the account of god's redemption of his people um Repeated to remind the new generation, the generation that that didn't come out of Egypt, didn't witness firsthand the the plagues, um, to remind them what God has done for their fathers and through their fathers for them uh, to set them up and bring them to the promised land. And and we get that tail end of the song along with, as you said, um, Moses's um, urging the people to pay attention to these words not just on this day, but as they go forward with their new life in the promised land as well. With that introduction, let's take a look at the text. Again, we are starting today in Deuteronomy 32, verse 39, right toward the very end of the Song of Moses, as Pastor Murphy said, given by God. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives, from the long-haired heads of the enemy. Rejoice with him, O heavens, bow down to him, O gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. 
Moses came and recited all the words of this song in the hearing of the people, he and Joshua, the son of Nun. And when Moses had finished speaking all these words to Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. That very day the Lord spoke to Moses, Go up this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession. And die on the mountain which you go up, and be gathered to your people, as Aaron your brother died in Mount Hor, and was gathered to his people, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. For you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. That's our text for today. That's Deuteronomy 32, verses 39 to 52. So, Pastor Murby, let's get the end of Moses's song first. That's We started again in verse 39. And whereas previously in the song, it was primarily Moses singing about the Lord in the third person, not entirely. Sometimes we did hear directly from the Lord. But now this is most certainly, this is the Lord himself speaking. What is the Lord saying about himself in verse 39? Well, yeah, I I kind of look at these last few verses that we're looking at as the epilogue to the to the entire song. It, it's kind of repeating and, and rephrasing uh, some of what's come before, and, and it, it can be kind of intense, but I, I think what, what we really see here, um, and it's emphatic in this, this first line, is that God is claiming his position as the only God for Israel. You know, see now that I, even I am he, and there is no other God beside me. Um, he's just repeated what... Um, what he has done for, for his people, how his people have turned to idols and rejected him, um, and, and how he will justly you know, discipline for that, them for that. But he is claiming here his place as, as the God and even really the, the king of, of these people. And not just these people, but I think all people. I mean, this is this is the Lord saying He's God, and there's nobody else. Not just for Israel, but period. Yeah. So, so Jesus, uh, God here is is making a claim for Himself that that He is completely unique, um, and and this is this extends not just to his essence, who he is. It's not that he's saying, I'm the only divine being, although he certainly is the only, you know, he, as, you know all, all of those, those adjectives that we go through in the Athanasian Creed, you know, he is the only uncreated, he is the only eternal, um, and, and, and so on and so forth. But there is no other being like him in that regard. And, and as the only divine essence, the, the, the only deity, he claims for himself a position over all creation. That, that, that he not only is God in his person, but he is the God 
in in office. He is the one who created everything. He is the one who who rules over everything. There's no one else who can do this. There's no one else who can deliver um, out of his hand. He is the ultimate authority. Um, and you better listen to him is, is part of what he's saying here. And, and, and we'll hear, hear Moses repeat that right. um, I mean, as the song concludes. Sure, yeah. I mean, the, the idea of, of listening, hearing the word of the Lord has been very important for the book of Deuteronomy and, and certainly continues in this song. It, it's striking, you know, he's a see now at, at the beginning instead of, of hear now, but it, that, that makes sense. Same force. The Lord makes cl- plain who he is and also what he does. That's also a big part of not only that who he is, no God beside me, but also what he does. And the way that verse 39 says is, I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Those are the, the verbs that God does two pairs. What, what is God saying about himself and what he does? Yeah. Um, well, as, as good Lutherans, I think we hear those, those kind of opposites, and, and our mind jumps to the distinction between law and gospel. Um, you, you mentioned that in your, in your introduction to, to our show today, that you know, we're studying the two-edged sword of God's word, the, the law and the gospel. Um, God rightly and justly, he kills, he threatens, he punishes. That, that's the work of his law. Um, it's, it's the work that, um, through Isaiah, we have come to call his strange or his alien work, um, kind of the work that, that God doesn't want to do, or, 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 or doesn't want to do for its own sake, but he does it for the purpose of leading to the gospel. So he kills in order to make alive. He wounds in order to heal. You know, he, he, he crushes our aspirations to, to do what is wrong or, or, or to assert ourselves because he wants us to turn to him as the one who is the true God, our true God, um, who provides for us, cares for us. He alone also then, then redeems us. Um, and and I, I think it's certainly right for us to see and remember that proper distinction between law and gospel as, as being brought out here, um, as God doing both of these actions. But there's some other things, I think, that, that we can learn from this, too. Um, and, and we need to see this in relation to what he has just said about there being no other God beside him. Um, you know, I, I think it's it, it's common, um, maybe almost inherent to our sinful, fallen mind, to look at creation around us and apart from God's revelation in Scripture, think that there are opposing forces at work, you know, the, the, the dualism of, of good and evil, or in, in Eastern religion, you know, yin and yang need to be in balance, um, that death and life are just you know, different sides of, of the equation, you know, trying to be balanced out on some cosmic scale. Um, and, or, or even, you know, that, that comes into some Christian minds, we think of the devil as God's opposite, um, in, in that, you know, the, the devil is, you know, just as or almost as powerful as God um, and, and there's this ongoing struggle between the devil and God and, and you know, who's going to win. 
Um, that's not the picture that, that Scripture gives us. Yes, the devil is real. He's more powerful than we are. Um, we can be overcome, you know, so quickly by him if it's not for God being on our side. But but God here in, 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 in verse 39 is claiming for himself to be the, the ultimate um, authority and power in the world, that he is behind death, not because he, he wills it or he desires it as an end, but, but he is the one who holds the power over death. He is the one who holds the power to, to wound. There's not another God that, that is trying to kill us, and God's trying to save us, and we don't know which one's going to win. But, but God is claiming whatever happens to you, he is the one ultimately in charge. Um, outside of faith in Christ, that can be terrifying. That's the law, the, the threat that, that you know, God demands retribution. But understanding this through the lens of, of Christ, um, who has gone before us into death and has risen from the dead, we now can think of, well, even when I die, God is the one who's in control. Um, God knows how to work a resurrection. Um, and, and I think it's interesting, often you have chiasms um, when you have pairs like this in Hebrew, and, and you would almost expect to hear God say, I kill and I make alive, I heal and I wound, but he, he doesn't. Here he, he begins with the negative both times, I kill, I wound, and then he ends with you know, the, the positive, the blessing, I make alive, I heal. Um, and I, I think that that's intentional on, on God's part and, and through, um, by inspiration on, on Moses' part as well. Yeah, yeah. What's the what's the is it Psalm thirty or thirty two where you know, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning? That I forget which which psalm it is, but that same order is evident there. And and as you you know as you were talking about like the you know what what does it mean that God kills or that He wounds and that you know He holds this power? Ultimately, He is the one who is responsible in in these cases. I, I was reminded of a of a hymn that we we learned not that long ago in Smithville. Uh, it's a Paul Gerhardt hymn, and I've I've mentioned it on this show before. It's actually I think one of the best hymns in the book. Why should cross and trial grieve me? And and Paul Gerhardt meditates upon this in stanza three, number seven hundred fifty six in Lutheran Service Book. So he says, "God gives me my days of gladness, and I will trust Him still when He sends me sadness." God is good, his love attends me, day by day, come what may, guides me and defends me. Yeah, I mean, just this this thought that God is the one who does both of these things, it may may trouble us at first, and if we take it the wrong direction, it, we can take it in, in bad places. But rightly understood, as you said, there is there is comfort for the Christian here, you know, that, and, and well, where is it? It's in that same hymn that Gerhardt says, where does it go? God, my loving Savior, sends them life's troubles. He who knows all my woes knows how best to end them. I mean, this is good news. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and if, if God's not the one that sends them, then we have to ask, is he the one that ends, you know, does he right. have the power to end them? Um, and, you know, again, Gerhardt is, is teaching us 
to look beyond what we can see. I mean, I, mean, I think any number of... Um, well, I think a lot of people who, who claim to be atheists have never convinced themselves that God doesn't exist. They've only convinced themselves that they don't like God that, because they can't get past what they're seeing. They see suffering in the world, maybe in their own lives, in their own flesh, and, well, why would, why, if God has the power to heal and make alive, why am I still in this trouble that I see? Or why is there so much trouble in the world? And um, it's, it's hard for us at times to just let God be God and understand that, that in an pers- eternal perspective that we cannot yet begin to fathom, God knows what's best for us in the long term, for, for whatever. Tim, I don't know why it's taken Jesus 2,000 years, almost, to come back. Come, Lord um, Jesus, come quickly. But, yeah, <laughs> um, except, you know, my, my, my wife is, is very quick to um, have that response. Um, when, when someone's talking about what's going on in the world, she'll say, come, Lord Jesus. Um, and, and a member of our congregation um, was talking with her, and she said that, and, and this lady has a, a relative, a, a daughter-in-law who was not raised in the church, did not grow up in a family that, that gave her a good picture of what it means to have a loving Heavenly Father. Um, and, and, and so this, this dear parishioner and this dear friend of ours you know, respond by saying, but, but not yet. You know, my daughter-in-law needs to to have the Holy Spirit work in her first, and you know we we are, you know, the Holy Spirit is bringing people to faith every day. Um, sometimes, you know, in our congregations, we may get frustrated because we don't see it. Maybe our congregations are in a a time of being wounded. Um, how how many congregations close each year, and you know, we can think of that as God, in a certain sense you know, killing the congregation. We speak of churches dying. Um, and yet, the same God who, who lets one church, you know, have their doors be closed is, is opening the doors of another church. You know, maybe on the other side of the world, maybe across town, um, and, and still, even in our midst, there are people who, you know, we don't know how or when the Holy Spirit is going to work faith. We can't even predict in whom he's going to work faith. But we have that promise that, that he is, because he is a God who makes alive and heals, yeah. and, and that is his proper work. You know, it's yeah. his strange work to wound us and, and, and cause us suffering or, or, or to, you know, to... Luther talked about the the devil being God's devil, and like a dog on a leash, God lets the devil go so far, and the devil intends it for our harm and our destruction, and it hurts. Um, but God is the one who holds the leash and, and and pulls him back at the right time, and you know when we have that eternal perspective, when we look back on the other side of the resurrection, if it's something that God gives us to do. Um, we'll be able to look and say, 
that 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 suffering was so hard, but look at what God did for me or for my neighbor through it, and it was worth it. That that's the thing. Whatever we suffer, we can say ultimately, it's worth it, even if we have no idea how at at the present. I'm glad you brought up the idea of God's strange work or his alien work, sometimes it's called, versus his proper work. That, you know, the wounding yeah. and killing that's spoken of here. And I, you make it a great point, I think, by saying it's it, it's the same order both times. It's always in view of God's desire to make alive and to heal. There's a, I mean, there's a fantastic section in, in the book of Lamentations, Lamentations chapter 3, which I, I'm convinced, you know, deals with this same idea, particularly Lamentations 3 verse 33, that, that the Lord does not afflict from his heart. Like this is, his heart is not in the affliction or in the wounding or the killing. His heart is, is there to make alive and to heal. And so if he needs to do the killing, the wounding, in order to make alive and to heal, he will. But the the healing, the making alive, that's where his heart truly is. That's what he's out to do. And it's uh, the distinction between God's alien or strange work and his proper work, of, I, I think, is a helpful one to keep in mind in a passage like this. Yeah. Well, and if we look just a few verses beyond this, um, we see that that, that this is for, for our good, because God begins then to distinguish between his children and his adversaries. In verse 41, he says, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and repay those who hate me. Um, but then in 43, he calls for, for rejoicing in heaven because he avenges the blood of his children. That, that when we suffer, God then... Um, uh, avenges us, um, and and it's you, you get this in 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 the minor prophets, and uh, to my shame, I, I can't tell you which one to go through. Maybe you can, maybe you can tell me after I've thrown this idea out there. But Babylon is God's tool to discipline his people um, in in Judah. The the people of Jerusalem are, are carried captive. God warns them over and over again, you know, repent, change your ways. They don't do it. By the time you get to Jeremiah, God's telling Jeremiah to prophesy against these people, but he even tells them, hey, stop praying for them. It's, it's too late. It's, it's, as, it's as good as done. The Babylonians are going to come and carry these people away. And yet then after the exile, you, you hear that the Babylonians went too far. The Babylonians were supposed to discipline God's children and and cause them to recognize their idolatry, but they caused more destruction than than what God wanted. And so God will visit upon them the the destruction, an even greater destruction than what He He shows to His people. Um, not just to discipline His people. I mean, He so He disciplines His people, but but He will you know, wipe out other nations. There, there are nations that afflicted God's people that, um, you know, basically aren't around today. Um, but God works to preserve his church even when he has to discipline her. Hmm. I, I, I'm glad you said that there at the end about God works to discipline his church. And, and for the sake of you know, all of this in the Old Testament particularly, is for the sake of keeping the promise of sending the the offspring, you know, the promised seed to Abraham, the Savior that's promised in Genesis chapter 3. 
all of the things that God is doing is to that end, finally, for the sake of of his church and, and ultimately for the sake of all nations, that, that the seed of Abraham would be a blessing to all nations of the earth, the Lord tells him. I think I think the minor prophet you're thinking of is, is Habakkuk. Habakkuk has this this question about evil and why the Lord allows it. And and the Lord tells him, Well, I'll I'll take care of that. I'm gonna send the, the Babylonians upon my people to take care of their evil. And Habakkuk says well, hold on a second. That sounds a lot worse. The Babylonians aren't very good either. <laughs> that's yeah. that's even worse. And and yeah, I mean, so Habakkuk kind of delves into this question about the Lord's the Lord's justice in doing these things. And and so Habakkuk is a a good one to consider. And certainly, you know, just the idea that that all these things are in God's hands, the the rise and fall of nations. I mean, again, this is this is good news. And it is for the sake of of his church, the Lord keeping his promise, and and so if if there is you know these verses are, are a bit troubling. All of this is is a good reminder to see that the fact that God is, and this sounds so cliche, but that He is in control of these things. There is nothing beyond His power. This should this should bring us comfort as Christians yeah. to know that you know I mean the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. He is your God, and he will use every tool at his disposal to be your God and to, to give you good things. Yeah, and, and as God, he has, in a sense, installed himself in the office of, as Paul will say, being just and the justifier. Um, it, it, God will work through history in the midst of your suffering and hardships to, to bring about um, vengeance for wrongdoing and vindication for for those who are righteous. Um, and and at, at this point, it, he's not drawing a clear line explicitly to the righteousness of faith, but from the context of Scripture, that's that's what it means to be his children. Um, and, and and so not looking to ourselves and saying, oh, I'm such a righteous person, um, but knowing that, yeah, whatever I suffer, I deserve a whole lot more. Um, you know, as we confess in church, you know, we deserve temporal and eternal mm-hmm. punishment. Yeah. Um, but we pray for God's mercy, and we expect God's mercy because Christ has promised it. Um, in, in, in baptism, we are made God's children. We put on Christ. Um, and because of that, then we see ourselves as those who are called upon to rejoice because our enemies um, will have vengeance poured upon them. Um, and, and especially, I, I think here we, we should think of the, the enemies of the false gods that you know, the Lord has just renounced. And, and really put in their place by saying they're nothing. Um, you know, the, the individual people who, who would harm us, um, those are the ones that we should pray for and have mercy on them as Christ has had mercy on us, trusting that if, you know, it, it's up to the Holy Spirit to work faith in them, and by God's grace, He will, those who harden their hearts and refuse to, to receive Christ, who re- continue to reject Him, well, then they'll receive vengeance, um, uh, again, as God's alien work, not, not as what he most desires for them, but it's, it's 
what ultimately they ask for. Um, but, but we will be protected. We will be provided for. Um, that doesn't mean we'll be spared every hardship, right. but, but we will be protected from being overcome by that hardship, even the hardship of death. That's right. That's right. Well said, Pastor Murphy. That's a good place to take our break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're looking at Deuteronomy 32 with Pastor Ned Murphy today. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, October 4th. We're studying Deuteronomy 32, verses 39 to 52 with Pastor Ned Murby. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blackwell, Oklahoma. Pastor Murby, prior to the break, we were looking at the first verse of our text, verse 39, where God establishes himself as unique. He is the only one who has any power. He's the only God he kills. He makes alive. He wounds. He heals. No one can deliver out of his hand. In verse 40, the Lord says, I lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever. So the Lord makes an oath and he takes an oath in his own name. What is the significance of God swearing by himself? Well, you, you know, you, you swear um, on something or to something that, that will hold you accountable. Um, you know, the, the, the idea of, um, taking an oath of office or, or, you know, a witness in a courtroom, putting their hand on a Bible, you know, that, that, that's a, a way of signifying um, that, at least for those who hold the Bible to be the Word of God, that, that I'm, I'm pledging myself to, to, be, to be true and to speak correctly and to try to live out this promise that I'm making to the best of my ability with, with, with calling upon God to, to help us, but also to keep us accountable. So in other words, say if, if, if we're lying, we're lying not just to men, but we're lying to God, and we expect God to um, discipline us for it. Um, but, but as God has already claimed for himself, the, the highest position in the universe, that, that he is the creator, there's nothing in creation that can discipline God um, or, or, or punish him for falsehood, he swears by himself and by his life, as I live forever. Um, and, and, you know, that, that recalls to mind God's self-revelation to Moses at the burning bush. I am who I am. I'm, I'm the one who is. I'm the one that causes to be. Um, I am the living one. Um, so contrary to all the false gods that aren't 
living um, deities. They're, they're empty things. God is swearing on his fullness um, for our benefit, for, for our assurance that, that what he says is faithful and, and true. Um, he calls upon heaven to, to be his witness. I lift up my, my hand to heaven. Um, you know, the heavens are, are God's handiwork. Um, the, we think of the, the holy angels as being kind of the, the populace of, of the heavens. Um, they are God's witnesses not to, to hold him accountable, but if there's ever, you know, in man's mind, a question about what God said, you know, there, there are other living beings who, who remember what, what God has said. Um, God opened this, this song um, calling upon the heavens and the earth to listen to his words. Um, so, again, that's what, one reason I, I say this is kind of like the epilogue. He, God's returning back to the beginning and, and summarizing what he said. And, and when God's people start to live contrary to his word um, and, and to his instructions here, you know, the prophet Isaiah will call upon the heavens and the earth to bear witness again, because those are the ones that God appealed to um, here in this song, um, laying out his identity, his plan, and, and his conditions for his people. Um, so here, here God is saying, there's nothing higher than me. I'm, I am the supreme authority, and by myself, um, what I am saying is is true and right. Mm, yeah, and when God when God swears by Himself, as you said, there not being any higher authority to swear by, you know for a fact He's going to do what He says to to show the absolute certainty of His word. He swears by Himself. in In verse forty three, the very last verse of the Song of Moses, it goes back to a third person speaking of of the Lord. So rejoice with Him, O heavens! Then bow down to Him all gods, having just heard the Lord say, there is no God besides me, what does this mean that the Lord, that Moses says, bow down to him, all gods? What, what does Moses mean by that? Yeah, well, it, it wasn't long ago that in this very same song, God spoke about the, the Israelites sacrificing to demons that were no gods, mm. um, to gods they had never known. Um, and this epilogue kind of uses God in that, that dual way again um, as, on the one hand, denying the existence of any other God, but then also acknowledging that there are things that take the place of gods in, in our lives. Um, and, and we're reminded here um, of, for example, what St. What Paul tells the Corinthians, that the the pagan idols and, and, and the altars to pagan gods are are really altars to demons, and to participate in these altars is to have participation um, with the demons. And and so there is kind of a person um, behind a personal entity behind these idols that people worship, um, but they're not divine. They're, they're not really gods um, in the sense of their essence. Um, they're gods in the sense of, of how they are treated by, by man. 
And and so here in the Song of Moses, those beings are are called to bow down to God. Um, and, and I think, uh, well, what this brings to mind to me is is the the Song of Christ's humiliation and exaltation um, that Paul gives us in Philippians two, where where he says that because Christ has been faithful even unto death. Um, that, that he's been given the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I, I, I think that lines up I- exactly with what God is saying here, that God is going to avenge the blood of his children and take vengeance on his adversaries. And, and that takes place, through the power of Christ's death and resurrection, um, which is the subject of, of Paul's hymn. And, and then both of them call upon the heavens um, to acknowledge this. Those on earth, you know, the, the uh, humanity, then also those under the earth, or, or in the words of this song, you gods, that is, the false gods who pretend to be gods. You... you um, I mean, pretend gods is probably a good way to understand the, the, the really the meaning of what God is saying when He calls um, these beings God. Yeah, yeah. And the connection to verse seventeen, I think, is spot on. You know, the, they sacrificed the demons that were no gods. Same idea here. But again, to to emphasize the the supremacy of the Lord over all. Right? I mean, anything, even even demons who would present themselves as gods, the Lord is over them all. And, and Moses closes his song with that thought in mind, again, giving this song then as a witness against the people of Israel, so that in times of unfaithfulness, this song is there to testify to them of God's faithfulness, even in their faithlessness, to call them to repentance. And so with that purpose of the song in mind that we've heard about previously in Deuteronomy, we, we hear that Moses was faithful in giving these, these words of the song to the people, and then he gives them further instruction in verses 45 and following, telling them to take these things to heart. What, what, is Moses, what instructions does Moses give them now that he's given them the song? How does he close out in, in verses 46 through 48? 47, sorry. Yeah, well, 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 he says, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today. So, so he acknowledges that, you know, th- there's warning, kind of, a, there's a threat of punishment here. Um, but then he says that you may command them to your children, so they are to teach them, and pass it on from generation to generation. He says that they may be careful to do all the words of the law. Um, so... This song is to be an ongoing reminder, generation after generation, that as, as we speak in, in the close of the commandments, God threatens to punish all those who break his commandments. Um, therefore, we should fear his wrath and not do anything against them. Um, but he promises grace and every blessing to those who love him and, and keep his commandments. Um, so so we, we get that it, um, kind of repeated for us here at the end of Deuteronomy that we, we find back in Exodus, that, that God threatens to punish, but then also in carrying these things out, in, in 
in remembering God's word, living by them, being careful to do all the words of the law, um, there is a great promise. For Moses says, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. That, that, and, and, and this is the, the whole word, repeating what God has done, being the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt, out of a land of slavery, who, who has driven out or who is about to drive out the Canaanites from before them to establish them in the land, that to, to live in this pattern that he has set is good for you. Um, to remember him is good for you. Um, to keep his word, to, to live according to his instruction, that's for the people's benefit. Um, and, and so Moses is urging them to, to remember the words of this song, pass it on, that, that generation after generation, God's people would be reminded that to break away from him is death, but to, to hold fast to his word is life. I love the way that Moses finishes that that section of exhortation here where he says, it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And I, I think he's referring to the song specifically at this point, but I think it would be very easy to apply this to the entirety of the book of Deuteronomy. You know, we I, I talked about this toward the beginning of the, the series that, you know, the book of Deuteronomy is a bunch of Moses is preaching. It's like three long sermons and it's almost all the words of Moses. And sometimes we don't always like to listen to sermons, particularly long ones like Moses preaches. But just this reminder here, this is not an empty word. You didn't waste your time, you know, learning the words of this song or listening to the sermons of Moses. It's not empty. There's substance. In fact, the substance is your very life. What a, what a beautiful thing to say about the word of God that, that we're hearing through Moses. Well, th- this is probably how we should conclude our sermons on Confirmation Sundays. You know, that you've, you've heard the catechism, you've learned it, good. Now pay attention to it, teach it to your children when you're grown, because this is, like this song kind of distills the first five books of the Bible, in, into uh, a memorable and memorizable um, chunk of text that, that the people could remember. Um, th- that, so the catechism, you know, distills God's Word um, in, into a form where we can memorize it and have it in our heart and our, our mind at all times. And, and it's, again, not empty. It, it's, it's the very life that God wants us to have. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. I love it. Yeah, well, this is the next uh, confirmation text that that we'll preach on, and maybe the next confirmation verse that that we'll give out too. What I mean, what a wonderful promise! It is not an empty word; it is your very life. I mean, just you know, it, after after sitting through, you know, that's a long reading, Pastor. Why do we have to hear such a long reading? No, this is not an empty word. It is your very life, and and this word has an effect. You know, for the people of Israel, you get this very specific promise. By this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Man, this is the, I mean, talk about summing summing up the book of Deuteronomy. It is by this word. You're not going to live there because the land itself 
happens to be so prosperous. You're not going to live there because you're so great a people, Israel. You're going to live there by God's word. And this is this is Deuteronomy summed up yet again. And, and certainly for the Christian life, how are you going to live now and then into eternity? It is by the word of God and by the word of God alone. This is a fantastic. I know we're not done with Deuteronomy yet. There's several sort of false endings in Deuteronomy, I think. But, but man, this wraps it up really well. <laughs> It, it sure does, um, and it's it, it's just a beautiful reminder. And of, of course, you know, we look at all the promises in the Old Testament regarding the Promised Land as, as being kind of a, a figure of the promise that we have of the Promised Land of the New Heavens and the New Earth, the New Jerusalem, um, and you know, we don't earn that promised land in, in any different way. Uh, um, we, we receive it as a, a gift, just like the children of Israel were brought into the earthly promised land. And we receive our inheritance by clinging to the Word of God, just as they did. Yeah, yeah. At the end of our text today, we get a foretelling of Moses's death. Now, we know this has been coming in the book of Deuteronomy. We know that Moses is not going to cross the Jordan River and go into the promised land with everyone else. This, is, this has been a foregone conclusion. The Lord has spoken of it already, but it's, it's almost here. We get his death foretold. Then there's going to be another a long poem in chapter 33, some blessings for the people of Israel. And then Moses' death is actually recounted at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. What do we find here in the last part of our text, verses 48 through 52, in the, the Lord telling Moses about his upcoming death? Well, I, I think a lot of what we've been talking about, uh, as far as the, the stern warning that we get in this song of, of Moses and in, in God's assertion that he alone is God, um, comes to bear on the life of Moses. Um, he, he did not have his heart set um, for, for a little while on, on glorifying God revealing his holiness to the people in the way that he carried out God's instructions to bring water from the rock. Um, he, he, God tells him to, to speak to the rock and have, have water comes out. Well, Moses stands in front of the rock and, and tells the people, well, you know, what do you want us to do? Make water come from this rock? And, and he hits it with his staff, which is what God had told him to do once before in the past. But God tells him because his, his heart was not, fully set that day on, on, on hallowing the Lord's name before the people, his punishment, his discipline was that he would not enter the promised land. And, and God is here reminding um, his prophet, um, you're going to die, like I told you, because you broke faith with me before the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah, Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin. Um, you didn't treat me as holy, and so your your punishment stands. Mm-hmm. Now, so Moses' punishment stands. He is going to to die on this mountain. He's given instructions where to go, Mount Nebo. So, but he gets to see the promised land. So, even though he doesn't get to go into it, he does get to see it. This, this sounds like a God's grace, even in the midst of judgment. Yeah. So. 
Um, I, I think we, God is doing a few things by showing Moses the promised land. First of all, as as by carrying through on on his judgment that Moses will not enter the promised land, God is showing that his law stands. You know, I I told you what to do, you didn't do it. I told you what the punishment was. That punishment is going to happen. But the very last thing that Moses will experience before he dies on Mount Nebo, is he will see God's faithfulness um, in, in that he sees the land that God is giving to the people. Um, and, and by showing him the promised land, God is saying, yeah, you're not able to bring them there, um, but I am, and, and I will be faithful. I will bring the people into this land. Um, and, and that faithfulness applies to Moses as well. It, it, the, the discipline, the temporal punishment of dying without setting foot in the promised land will be carried out. That doesn't mean that Moses is, is, is lost and, and, and outside of salvation somehow. Um, God himself um, takes care of Moses' funeral arrangements. Um, you know, he, God buries him. Nobody else knows where the the tomb of Moses is, which is most certainly a good thing because somebody would have turned that into an idolatrous That's right. um, shrine. Um, but but God's mercy is is there present at at the end of of Moses' life as well. Yeah, what you were saying there about God's mercy at the end of Moses' life, and that this does not mean that he's somehow separated from the people of God in death. That is, I, it's I think it's right there in the text. In fact. Where in verse, where did it go? Verse 50, when the Lord tells Moses, and die on the mountain which you go up, and then he puts it this way, and be gathered to your people. That that way of speaking yeah. of, of death as being gathered to your people, this is this is good news for the Christian. To be gathered to the, your people in death means to be to go where the people of God go, which is to be in the presence of Christ. You know, I mean, like like the like Lazarus was taken to the side of Abraham. Moses gets the same promise here. This "be gathered to your people" is a a gospel way of speaking about death. Certainly, um, you know other other places it's called sleeping with his fathers or right. or, or, or things like that. Um, th- this idea that well, and even uh, again, God's self identification as the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, how he introduced himself to Moses which our, our Lord points out, That's right. he's the God of the living, not the dead. Yeah. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not lost to God. Yeah, that's right. um, you know, they're, they're dead to us in, in a way, uh, although we certainly have the hope of seeing them in, in paradise. But to God, they're alive. Yeah. Um, they're, they're being kept. And, and again, God doesn't give us all the details. He piques our curiosity and then just says, let me be God. Um, you know, so I'm not going to try to say exactly what Moses was experiencing, how he experienced being with his people, but we know that, that it does include still being part of God's people. Yeah, that's right. I love the connection you made to Exodus 3 and, and God's promise that Jesus quotes to show the resurrection of the dead. 
to the Sadducees. And I think that's just a fantastic, I mean, that brings Moses full, full circle. I mean, I'm a little sad right now to hear about the death of Moses coming, you know, I mean, spending so much time with Moses in the book of Deuteronomy over the last couple of months. And and now I know he's about to die. It brings a little sadness, but to see that, that come full circle from when God called him 40 years ago to now when he's about to die and it's in the hope of the resurrection of the dead. What a, what a glorious promise for Moses and for all who are in Christ you and me. Let, let's talk about Christ here toward the end. We've, we've got about three minutes here, Pastor Murby, and we've, we've looked at this text. There's so much good things, so much good stuff here. How does this text point us to Christ? Well, you know, when Christ comes in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, don't think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. And then by the law, he means the books of Moses. He's talking about the text that we've been studying. Christ isn't here to abolish these things but he comes to fulfill them. Um, and, and he does this in, in two ways. He, he fulfills this word of God by himself being the one who wounds and the one who heals. Um, we, we often think of, we like to think of the stories where Jesus is speaking kind words and casting out demons and so forth, but, but he also wounds in the, in, in the way that he um, pronounces woe onto the Pharisees and Sadducees and on the cities that didn't recognize him when, when he came in their midst. That's part of this wounding and healing. And, and even after his resurrection, the way he speaks to the, the seven churches in, in the early part of, of the book of Revelation, he speaks very stern words to those who, who won't... Um, won't listen to him, won't take his word to heart. You know, he talks about spitting them out because they're lukewarm, urging them to repentance. But even more than that, he fulfills these words by being the one who bears the vengeance of God for our sake. Um, you know, while we were God's enemies, Christ takes his stand with us so that God's vengeance on his enemies falls on the person of Jesus um, so that we have the promise that in him, our debt to sin, our punishment that, that should come to us from God because of our sin, has already been dealt out on Christ. Um, and so we look to God for the healing, for, for the making alive again that, that only he can give, recognizing that we're born in sin. Um, you know, we can't save ourselves, but we have one who can save us, the one to whom every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bend, and every tongue confess that, that he is Lord. And in doing so, we will glorify the Father. Pastor Ned Murby is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blackwell, Oklahoma, helping us today with Deuteronomy 32, verses 39 to 52. Pastor Murby, thanks for being our guest today. Oh, you're welcome. It's a delight. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Deuteronomy or our upcoming series on Joshua, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.